curious. And he cuts across the median and just is driving head on into traffic. Then I get above the tree line and I'm walking and the wind almost blew me off the mountain. <laughs> hey, you just learn as you go. That's what we all do. Hello, hello, aloha, namaste. Welcome to Vicarious Diaries. I'm Jeffasaurus Rex, your host. This travel podcast is all about journeys abroad and journeys within. As we share stories about our wonderful adventures, the most impactful stories tend to be the ones that follow us home. The moments that gave us new perspectives new inspiration. Not everyone has the luxury of traveling this beautiful planet, so we will be the conduits and bring culture and creativity to you. Today's episode is an adventurous one and full of some good laughs. Colin Eli from Philadelphia, USA is a friend I met couch surfing in Switzerland and I was immediately drawn to his natural storytelling ability. I saw a mirror with our mutual and unconventional style of travel and wanted to know more about his adventures and misadventures as he journeyed across more than 25 countries in Europe. Colin is an artist who loves to express himself through photography, drawing, and writing. If you are watching the video version, you will see a progress montage of a drawing of some Turkish coins that he's really proud of. Or you can fly over to colonelie.com and he has many beautiful paintings and hand-drawn portraits, as well as a collection of worldly photographs and his travel blog. Today, we get to open up Colin's backpack Stories of chasing the Tour de France, driving without rules in India, and countless new friendships in Europe. Grab your passport and boarding pass and let's go. I like your map. Yeah, thanks. I, uh, I printed it out and I wanted people to <laughs> like my guitar. I wanted people to draw on it at like the little presentations I did and uh, like, to, to see where they've been in the world. And The guitar was easily the coolest like travel memento I have ever seen. <laughs> Thanks. I, uh, I couldn't even believe like I actually brought a guitar. Like when I think back <laughs> to it, I was like, what was I thinking? Like backpacking through Europe with like a massive back. My backpack was so heavy and like, I don't know how you did it. And I brought a tent and then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't even remember second guessing the guitar. It was just like, it was <laughs> definitely coming. But it was when, necessary. Yeah. But when I think back to it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I brought that. But I'm so happy I did. Cause yeah, you know, I, I played it every day and it was, I definitely, uh, fell, it, fell more were, than. We were talking more. about how, uh, it's, it's important to write things down before you forget because the memories fade. But I feel like with the guitar and all those drawings on it, it's like you probably remember every single person that has drawn something on it. 
Yeah. And you know what's crazy is some of the drawings actually have faded. So it's like, <laughs> it's like that actual lesson that like, yeah, not only do things not last forever, but you know, it's good to um, be okay with that. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Cause some of them have stuck, which is cool. And uh, yeah, I remember specifically where I was when they were drawing that and the reason for it. And uh, I always remember, I was like, every every person I met, I was like, oh, you got to draw my guitar. Like, and uh, yeah, I remember I was, because I was, you had showed me the guitar and I was like, oh, I can't wait to draw something on this. That'll be cool. And then I think we went out and whatever, like it, I hadn't drawn the guitar until the day I was leaving and I'm like, you were I'm, rushing. Yeah. I'm getting ready to go to the train. And you were like, Oh, Yo, you got to draw my guitar. And I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> so, it was the last thing I did in Switzerland. I think was just drawing on your guitar. And I like started this design and I want I had gotten to a point where I was like, okay, I have to finish this or else it would just look unfinished. <laughs> So I finally finished it, and there was, I think, like nine minutes left until the train left, and I'm still in the apartment drawing. So <laughs> I just, like, finished it, threw the Sharpie down, like, gave everyone a hug, and just sprinted to the train station. And luckily I made it. But that was, like, I don't think I ever really missed a train on my trip that I can think of. And that was the closest I came because I was like, I have to draw on this guitar. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty good for not uh, not missing any trains because I feel like it's important to get there early and figure out like, okay, where's the platform and like. Yeah. Sometimes it's in. Well, I should say that a lot of my travel was like, I'll just get to the train station and then look for a train from there. So most of it, it wasn't like I was making specific trains, but on the times that I did, I, I think I was pretty good about getting out there early. Yeah, me too. I, I, I only hopped on a couple of the wrong trains a few times, <laughs> but like they weren't like serious, um, unplanned detours. detours. Yeah. Unplanned detours. Yeah. Those are fun too though. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you had the, uh, you had the rail pass, right? I had the rail pass, man. Yeah, that's, that's the way to go. My brother, <laughs> my brother convinced me to do it. It was an, it's absurdly expensive. I think it was like three thousand dollars or something crazy. But it was three months, and it was like all of not all of Europe. I think there was like six countries that weren't involved for whatever reason. But it was, I would say, definitely worth it because I hit like everything I could. And since, and I'm so cheap, like spending that much money i was like i have to use this all the time to get my money's worth so i was on the train like every other day at least so i was kind of all over the place and i think it has pros and cons because you want to stay like in some places longer but i was just hopping like every two days three days i was just on a train and in a different city so it's kind of its own type of traveling yeah and but i think I think uh, I think we can start there. So on that that note, so you're from Philadelphia, right? Like you were born yeah. there, or yeah. Well, I was I was actually not born in Philly, but I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and now I live. I've never lived in the city proper, but 
I'm like 20 minutes outside of Philly now, so. And that was like, you went on this big adventure trip and because of the rail pass, you were able to see like at least over 25 countries and like yeah. on one adventure. And so yeah. it's, uh, it was, a, it was a lot. It was, but yeah, thankfully, cause I had gone to, I had moved to Turkey to live there and I was planning to live there for like a year, but cause of like the resident permit things, I couldn't end up staying the year. Um, I didn't find a job that I wanted, um, that paid like anything decent. So I was like ready to leave. And my brother, I was, I was debating like coming home or like continuing to travel. And my brother, I, I called my brother. I remember and he was like, he had always wanted to go to Europe and he, he had been like once or twice, I think at that point. And he loved it. And he just told me straight up. He's like, Hey, don't come home without seeing Europe. <laughs> And then he told me about the rail pass and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. So shout out to Scott for setting this whole thing up, not setting it up, but yeah, you know, for sure. And taking me in the, butt to do it. the thing about Europe that I love so much is there's so many countries in such a small area and it's so easy to get around and with, and it's just like, I've been to Europe like four or five times. I'm like, it's just a cool fucking place. And there, there's definitely, there's so many cool places to see in the world, but yeah, um, like your brother saying, he's like, dude, just believe, <laughs> listen to me, and yeah. and so it's good that you took his advice. But uh, yeah. thank goodness. What? Uh, so you went to Turkey before India. So, like, what yeah. brought you there? Well, in college, I wrestled competitively, and that's like year-round training. So I couldn't study abroad, which I wanted to do because um, I was training but uh i had i had a friend who i'm still very close with from india and i got to know her like in from college and in 2014 i guess it would have been 2013 she was like hey do you want to come to india and stay with my family for a few weeks and i <laughs> yeah obviously so that was my first time leaving the country and I thought like it'd be a shame to fly like halfway around the world and only go to one place. So I just like picked Istanbul randomly because I picked it cause it seemed like the most interesting place that I knew the least about cause I didn't know anything about Istanbul. Um, so yeah, I went to, I just like stopped there on the way to India for four days and it was such a tease cause I loved it. And then I had to leave right away. So I had always envisioned like going back to Turkey um, and India was a blast. Like it's a beautiful country and I want to go back so bad. But as like you probably experienced, I'm just like, when I think about traveling, I'm caught between visiting all the places I love again or like just <laughs> yeah. going to a spot that I don't know. And I'm leaning toward, I always lean towards like going to a place I've never been because just for like the new experience aspect, but I'd love to go back to India. Yeah, that that's a good. Uh, that's I, that's why I love talking to talking about travel because like I never really thought about that too. It's like yeah, do you do you go back and spend time with you know friends you've made or yeah. like I think you got to do a, a balance or do you go to like a completely new place that you don't know anything about? So so that's a tough decision because yeah. you. 
because you still talk to the friends you made and you always like the conversation at is inevitably returning to, Oh, are you coming back to visit or yeah. what am I going to see you? Blah, blah, blah. And then it's so tempting to just buy a ticket and go visit. But then when you think about it, it's like, I only have so much money. If I'm going to buy a ticket to go like, you know, back on the other side of the world, I want to, I still want to see a place I've never been to. So, right. I think so maybe, yeah. I think maybe the answer to that, which I've, I've thought about is uh, I've told some of my friends overseas that I'm like, maybe we should meet in a new place together and like yep. do some, <laughs> either do some sort of traveling together or like do like a, a project um, in a new country where we're like helping other people or whatever. And like, that would be a cool place. We're both meeting in a foreign country, but yeah. So I think that's kind of what I'm leaning towards too. And, that's a good call. So you went to, so, where did you go in India? I went to Delhi. My friend lived in Delhi. So I, every day, this was my schedule. I would just wake up, have breakfast and ride into work with her. And then she would just like go into the office and I would just start walking. <laughs> yeah. And I would walk, walk for her whole work day, like eight hours. Sometimes it would be walking the whole time. A lot of times I would stop to like draw or just hang out or visit like cool places. And then when her work day ended, I would just be back at like her office and we'd take the train home or car or whatever. So that was like unbelievable. So what's it like in Delhi? Packed. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's, I mean, parts of it are not, it's not like the whole city's packed and it's, it's gorgeous. Like, there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of wealth oddly stacked on top of each other. So it's quite a contrast, but the city you can tell like takes care of its like public spaces. So I don't know. It's just a cool place to walk around. There's gorgeous gardens everywhere. And I, I went at the right time. It was like, I'm trying to remember. I think it was February, end of February. And the weather was perfect for me. It was probably like winter for them, felt like. But I was t-shirt and shorts every day and comfortable. Towards the end, it like got kind of hot, but I don't know. For someone from Philadelphia, it was comfortable. Although I got scolded by her mom because I woke up one day and I like, <laughs> it was probably 80 degrees out Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is, Celsius. But it was like warm to me. Right, There's right maybe like a little above room temperature and i had a t-shirt on and like gym shorts because it's just comfy clothes to walk in yeah and she was like you can't go out in that you have to put a jacket on or like blah 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 and i'm <laughs> like no like, i i'm i'm sweating in this <laughs> but you walk around and all the guys are wearing like long sleeve shirts like dress shirts right slacks and and like uh sweater vest and i'm sweating in a t-shirt i'm like i don't know just gotta be used to it i guess but yeah definitely like if you live in that kind of environment where it is warm for the majority of the year yeah you definitely your body adapts to it and but that's yeah. funny that's such a mom thing to say too it it was <laughs> and also they have 
I've heard of like I've heard of it before, but they take it seriously in India, where you can't walk on the floor barefoot because they think you'll get sick. And I thought it was just like kind of like an old wives' tale kind of thing over there. But her cousin was a doctor, and he was like twenty-eight, and he came over to the house, and he told me the same thing. He's like, "Oh, you you have to have something in your feet, or you'll get sick." Okay, which is funny because like I grew up walking around my house barefoot. So it's just like little cultural things you find there. Yeah, maybe like, maybe like, yeah, like so walking inside the house. Yeah, just walking around the house. They have like slippers and stuff. They have tile floors, and I guess the floors feel cold to them. But I guess like they think I'll get sick because I'm walking around on the tile floors barefoot. But or like just seems like normal to me. Or your feet are, like, getting dirty, and then you're, like, going to bed, and the dirt's, like, getting in your bed. Like, I don't know. I guess that's... Maybe, maybe they thought I was unclean. So... <laughs> their house, their their apartment was, like, meticulous, though. They have, like, a cleaning lady, and there's, like, the whole place was super clean. The whole outside is dusty, but the inside is, like, spotless. I, I read in your blog, like, you kept... Uh, referring to I guess the mom as auntie yeah and I was just wondering if you could tell me what you meant like what tell talk about that so it's just like a sign of respect for pretty much any elder so anyone that's like a generation above you or even just older than you is either auntie or uncle okay so, like, all your friends' parents, you would refer to as auntie or uncle. That's, and uh, I'm not sure if it... I think it applies to strangers, too. It's been a while. Yeah. But, yeah, you're pretty safe, like, just calling... Because if you don't know their name especially, then it's safe to say one of the two, depending on their gender. Yeah, and... Uh, I, I had a... I know a lady from Guyana she lives across the street from my grandma and their friends. And every time she comes over, she always calls my grandma mom. And that's what I thought about when I was reading your blog. <laughs> so I think it's like the similar thing, the, the respect thing where, yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I, th- I think it's cool though. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, not calling them, calling an elder by like their first name, like when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah. So, or teachers, yeah. like I'm still, did you go through that phase where you're like, you become an adult and you refer to other adults by their first name, but you still don't know what to say to your friend's parents? Like I still, I, I still will say like Mr. Scott or whatever, <laughs> even though just cause like, that's how I grew up. Like when you know them, your whole yeah. life you've been calling them that. Yeah. I guess I don't, I don't see a lot of my, uh, my friend's parents. But that's a good point. I'm going to start. I like. Uh, it's funny though. Yeah. Because sometimes I, like I've run into friends, parents. And I know like one or two times I'm like, I'm 27 now, but this was more when I was like early mid twenties. <laughs> a couple times I said, Oh, Hey David. <laughs> and I just felt so weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, I, I don't think I could do You're that. You're like, sorry, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. 
Yeah, it's, there's there's so many like just etiquette things in our culture that I haven't even figured out, let alone like all these other cultures. Like also in India, like the really senior people, like the elders, you're like it's like respectful to bend over and touch their feet, which is like totally new to me. I'd never touched anyone's feet before because feet are like sacred, kind of, kind of gross. Okay, I'm like. <laughs> Why am I touching your feet? But it's like it's it's normal there. And so when her like grandfather would come over or whatever, I think it was when we greeted, but also when we said goodbye, I'd like touch his feet. <laughs> okay. That's that's interesting. And then when I wrestled over there, it was like the guru who's the coach, I like touched his feet too. Apoorva, who's the one that invited me, who I was staying with, would, be like, would nudge me and be like, you can, you, should, you can touch his feet now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although it did cross my mind, like, she could just she could just be messing with me. That's true. Like, you never know, like, when you're in a different country. Um, yeah, okay, wait yeah. a minute. Like, t like, you just bend over and you just do, like, one little... Yeah, you just bend down and just, like, touch the top of his feet. Like, a, okay. And... Yeah. Hey, man. I can't explain it, but <laughs> I I did read once, like in uh, Tibet, maybe that uh, some monks, when the way that they say hello, I put it on my page, is they like stick their tongue out and they just go, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like this. Uh, I just started this. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah, but it, there's actually a reasoning behind it that. It was um, one of the old kings had like a specific colored tongue or something and like they would show it like you can read the article and I think it said like by sticking your tongue out um, and to show that you're not this uh, I don't know you have to read that you're not like this evil person or whatever but I put it on that page interesting um, it's uh, it was <laughs> kind of weird yeah but I also heard um, in India, I had a friend who, like, I don't know if you notice this, but, like, guys in general, like, when, like, guys who are friends, like, you might see them on the street, like, holding hands and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, did you see that at all? Oh, yeah. It was, like, well, India in general is, like, still, at least relative to the U.S., like, pretty conservative. Um, Like... There's not a lot of out gay people from what I could tell. Okay. But the first time I saw it, I think I was with Porva and I saw two guys like walking down the street holding hands. And I made a comment to her, I was like, Wow, I didn't think like people would be this open about it, like in Delhi. Yeah. And she was like, because I just assumed they were gay, it was like two guys holding hands. And then she was like, No, like friends just do that. <laughs> oh. And not only that, it was, like, also interesting the way they did it because, like, a lot of times it wasn't, like, normal hand-holding. Someone would just be, like, holding onto someone's pinky. Or they'd be, like, just be walking down the street with, the, like, locked pinkies. It was interesting. Yeah. But, like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, wow, this, this gay couple is, like, really confident in the traditional kind of area. Yeah. Which, like, I was like, wow, they're kind of brave, I guess. But, no, that's just, like, that's the norm for, like, guy friends. Yeah, that's that's cool because it's, like, it's so different than any yeah. any uh, 
Like, I feel like he told me, yeah, there might be like a chain sometimes. There'd be like three or four of them. They're like all holding hands. I don't, you I probably, can't remember if I saw a chain or not. But maybe at like the beach or something, but like. But I definitely saw it. Like, it's, it's very common to the point where it's like not even, you don't really notice, notice anymore. So you just get used to it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so India was like, normally people maybe don't want to go to India because it is, there is a lot of poverty. Like, what was that like, um, to you? Do you feel like, um, it takes some getting used to cause the whole caste system where it's like very stratified, like socioeconomic classes. They say that, like, it doesn't exist anymore. We did away with the caste system, but it's still, like, it's there. You can tell. And the one, I mean, there's there's homeless people everywhere. There's beggars everywhere. There's people selling, like, a lot of kids, especially. Like, you, it's hard not to notice the kids, obviously. Right. But, like little girls who are maybe three or four will run up to you and like tug on your hand and try to sell you like those little plastic packs of tissues or like whatever. I mean, it takes some getting used to, but the, the, the strangest moment for me was, I guess the rickshaw drivers. They're like in the service industry, they pedal bikes that like with the benches on the back, if, your viewers know what a rickshaw is probably. Um, they're like pretty in the lowest cast. Um, it was interesting because I, I love cycling and I hadn't been on a bike like the whole time I was there. And we had on the way on the train back from her work, which we took almost every day, we'd get out at the train station and hire a rickshaw driver to, to like bike us back to the house. Um, and there was one guy there who like was kind of the regular, like a Porva. She, he would pick up a Porva every day. So she kind of knew him and they had a relationship and we were talking and I'm thinking like, I kind of want to drive a rickshaw. Like, can I, I, I'm in the back and I'm asking her like, do you think he would let me like pedal it for a few blocks or like one of the runs? Cause I just wanted to like try it out. And she was like, yeah, like probably I could ask for you. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like we'll just switch seats. I'll get on the bike and he can just sit back here with you and I'll pedal both of you like to the apartment just for the kicks. And she was like, no, he wouldn't do that. And I'm like, what? And my friend is from like one of the upper echelons, I guess, in the what used to be the caste system. And she said, like, very matter of factly, like, no, like, I don't think he would do that. And it she, it kind of struck her too because she had never thought about it. But she she said to me, she was like, he wouldn't sit next to me because there's just like a unwritten divide there where he like wouldn't presume to sit on the same seat as her, which was like, I don't know. 
kind of jarring, I guess, in a subtle way, but I, I didn't like, I ended up not riding the rickshaw because I didn't want to put him in like an awkward right, position, right. Was, like uncomfortable. So I never ended up asking, but it was like the whole rest of the ride home. I'm like, this is kind of fucked up. You can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I swore already too, but that's interesting. I never thought about that. I know my parents have like told me that when they were growing up that when they used to take the the city bus and stuff and there would be different um, classes. Like I feel like the blacks would have to sit at the back of the bus and like there's different, uh, although the back of the bus is always like the coolest part of the bus. I remember going <laughs> on the school bus and like uh, the backs were like the cool kids sat. But, yeah, four-year-old uh, me had trouble with that too. <laughs> what? <laughs> learning about civil rights when you're like a toddler yeah. or like early in school because the first time i heard about rosa parks and like her movement was sit, like sitting at the back or sitting at the front and they told her to sit at the back and she wouldn't and then my like little child brain was like oh but the cool people sit at the back of the bus yeah <laughs> yeah i know um that that's that's interesting uh, that's a big uh I don't know what to say to that, but yeah. No, there's like, there's still a lot of racial inequality and things there. Um, I mean, that's everywhere. You find that everywhere, but like, there's also like a lot of decent people that supersede all that. So yeah, you can like, I mean, India has its, its own things it's working through, but there's so many amazing people there so so if you if you were to drive the rickshaw like would you have driven it like i wanted to ride it so bad like would you have driven it like or ride it like beside other rickshaw drivers and like you know like i've seen um <laughs> like it's it, it's it's packed isn't it like on those like there's yeah i mean depending on where you go like some of the main roads are packed but some of the side streets like I think it would have been fine. If I had gone on the main roads, it would have been scary. We, right, we right. got in the auto. The driving there is nuts. It's like... That's what I mean, very, yeah, if you were to... It's drive. very organic. Like, the drivers, the cars on the road... In the U.S., it's all very structured and rigid. Like, you stop on the red, you go on the green. And, like, the red and green, I guess, is... Like, the stoplights are followed. But, like, lanes and signaling like there's none of that <laughs> they have lanes painted on the road but no one you wouldn't know it by looking at the traffic patterns because everyone just goes where they please it's like the cars move like the same way pedestrians walk on a, on a sidewalk you know like if there's space you just go to it and the people honk all the time yeah but it's like where i'm from if someone honks at you you know they're pissed off. Yeah. It's like you either messed up or they <laughs> messed up and they're angry about it. Like there's there's like tension in a honk here. Oh yeah, over, here, here too, for sure. Over there it's just like, okay, I'm coming up on your laughter. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's more of just like sonar because everyone's honking and <laughs> no one checks their mirrors. They just go for it. Yeah. And you better hope someone honks if they're going for the same spot or else you'll crash. <laughs> but we, I was in an auto, 
So they call them autos or like a tuk-tuk, I guess they call them in, I think, Southeast Asia. Like Thailand? Yeah, tuk-tuk. Yeah. Yeah. They're, just, they're just like the little pods. They're, they're auto rickshaws is what auto is short for. But we, we took one of those. And the guy was, the driver, I guess, was not satisfied with, with the speed of the traffic we were in. So he cut across to the, this was on like a big road, like three lanes on each side. And he cuts across the median and just is driving head on into traffic. <laughs> and we're in, the, we're in the back, like we're on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> and he, I think he could tell that I was like, what are we doing? He's like, Oh, it's not much further. Yeah. So he will be fine. He's honestly, he's dodging cars. They're coming at us. And then we go maybe like a hundred yards and then turn off into a side road. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I think it's I think uh, a good good word for that is organic. And you got to watch the show Departures. And there's an episode where they go to India. And he has the same expression that you just said. Like he's in one of those cars and like the noise and honking. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know how I didn't die today. Like I was just. <laughs> I tried driving. You did? I did. It was terrifying. And I, I think I'm a decent driver. But it was it was the most stressful. Other than my maybe my first time actually on the road behind a wheel, it was the most stressful I'd ever been driving. Okay. Or like when my mom is in the car with me because she stresses me out when I drive also. But she or like Aporva let me drive. She said, "Oh, do you want to try driving?" And this was probably really stupid on her part, but she just gave me the keys and was like, "Give it a shot." <laughs> and I pull out and I'm, I'm on the main road and I'm thinking, okay, what is everyone doing around me? It was bonkers. And I drove maybe a half mile and I pulled off and I was like, nah, you got this. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is going to end in a crash. Because I don't know what in the U.S. and like, I guess other places, you know what all the other drivers are about to do. Because right. there's lanes, there's signals, there's turn signals. It's like you could pretty much do it blindfolded. It's so easy. We get and then it, yeah, you just don't know what's about to happen. You just drive, and you just you're just ready the whole time. And yeah, action time. Stressful. We get pissed off when like someone forgets the signal. I'm like, oh man, I can't believe that guy didn't put his signal on. And it's like I'm the I'm the same way. And actually, <laughs> the funny thing is is like I know there's a stigma about like foreigners driving about how like there's there's some stereotypes of like Asians being bad drivers or whatever and it was kind of enlightening because after I or Porva told her mom auntie that I drove and she was like oh how was it blah 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 and I was like yeah it was really stressful blah, blah. and she's she she was like she's like yeah if you can drive in India you can drive in anywhere India makes the best drivers. And I think from her perspective, it's like, cause they're the most attentive and they're ready to like dodge and weave and like, you know, everything. They're great drivers in a sense that they're, they're skillful with maneuvering. Yeah. It's like a video but, game. And she, she made the statement like, yeah, if you can drive in India, you can drive anywhere. And, and I, from like, my perspective, I'm like, that might be why 
people in America think Indians are bad drivers because on the U.S. roads with like our system, it doesn't mesh to just like go weaving through traffic and not using signals and whatever. But yeah, maybe like you're not you're not as engaged when you're driving. Like sometimes you just go on oh, yeah. autopilot and you're like. No, in the U.S., that's certainly the case because I've seen people on my commute reading books for, <laughs> like while driving. Because in the U.S., it's like everyone there's there's such structure to it that you really barely need to be paying attention. <laughs> To drive successfully, and in India, if you try to read like uh, one sentence, check you check your text yeah. message. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I can't imagine if texting while driving happened in India. There'd be crashes everywhere. It probably does. I I, yeah, I was gonna say. I wonder how often there are like crashes. Um, I wanted to say though, when I was in Barbados, I kept hearing this this honk from the cars. And it was like this clown horn. It was like this really fun, like, and you keep hearing it like from your hotel. And then when I was walking on the street with my sister, there were these vans that were driving around and they would pick up people and then like little taxis kind of. Um, but that was the sound they would make. I thought it was for honking. And I thought, hey, maybe maybe that would be a little bit not as angry as like our honks like and you're kind of like oh shit like people are pissed or like yeah but because like i even have a hard time honking at people i'm like oh, i i never honk yeah I actually, sometimes I probably less than 10 times in my life yeah it's like like maybe if the honk wasn't as ag aggressive sounding like it's just like oh hey like i just gotta get by <laughs> like clown noise yeah but yeah, no, the honk is like a totally different connotation here. Although it might just be a city thing too, because you go to New York City and everyone's honking. Yeah, that's true. Same with Toronto. <laughs> but I feel like in New York City, everyone's pissed off. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, and the people maybe yeah. Do you want to talk about where you went after that? So you went to Turkey next, or do you want to say anything else with India? I mean. No, I mean I could talk about India all day. I know, and it's I good because some other yeah. But you got your blog too, right? So like people can read the stories there too, which is yeah, cool. colonially .com. Yeah, I I had a blog that was just for India called "Sorry I've Never Flown Before" because <laughs> I felt like that was my attitude for a while because I I didn't know what I was doing and I would ask a lot of stupid questions. Yeah, it, it, I came up with the name like on the way out. Cause I started the blog shortly after I left and I felt like I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just asking people, which is half the fun of traveling. But <laughs> that was my, like, that was kind of the attitude I took into it. It was like, Hey, sorry. I've never, it's my first time traveling. It's <laughs> time out of the country. Like, yeah. To, yeah. Tell me where I'm supposed to be. Where's my gate? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Let's just get this detail. So you went on this big traveling adventure for how long did you go for? Um, it ended up being like seven months, almost seven months. And how, but, and how, how many photographs did you take in seven months? So <laughs> I took a lot of photos cause I had gotten into photography like before going on this trip and yeah, I ended up taking, my first estimate was high. 
it was only like 20,000. At first I thought it was 30,000. But if you count the photos on my phone, it might approach like 25. But it was, it, it, it wasn't enough. I wish I had taken more. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm still going, it's like, it's two years later and I'm still going through photos and like seeing photos that I don't remember taking or haven't even like looked at yet. You know what? The, still traveling in my mind. It, yeah. As much as, as much as I always crack that joke, <laughs> my, uh, my, I remember a few years ago and I was looking at my dad's music in his, when he was transferring all his records to his computer and he literally had 80,000 songs. And I was like, I was like, dad, how do you, how could you have that many songs? Like, that's too many songs. But I had six thousand on my computer, and I thought this is absurd. Yeah, and eight thousand. Uh, wow. I probably yeah have like about three thousand or something. And uh, but I guess like you know when as you grow older, like you accumulate a lot. And yeah. he, he did say something cool. Like, and I've started noticing this too, where you really you won't hear a song or a photograph. For a really long time and it will come on and like whether it'll spark a memory or like you said like some of the photographs you take like they're kind of still traveling like until you discover yeah. them but the cool thing about the photographs and as big of a passion that is for you is i think you know not saying you're behind a screen too much but i think it almost sounds like you can appreciate um not more than others but you are definitely noticing a lot of uh, the scenery and like you're taking these photos yeah. because like you are in love with like a lot of the things you're seeing. And like, I talked about this on the other episode where I noticed myself, like I, I miss things sometimes I'm not looking at the details. Yeah. That's why you took so many photos. Cause you're, you're seeing details around you and where a lot of people miss. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've spent like my whole life drawing which I think helped a lot with traveling because when you draw, you're forced to focus on the details. Right. So like I'll go to a place. Oh, that was like one of my hobbies traveling still is, is like if I have time, I'll just sit, I'll just find a cool place and I'll sit and I'll draw and you just pick up on so much more like detail wise in buildings and whatever. I, I mean, I, I draw architecture just because it doesn't move. I'd like to draw people, but when you sit in a public space, like no one is there long enough to draw unless it's like a super quick sketch. Although I've drawn people on trains before. That's so cool. That's like, that's such a cool gift. And uh... but, yeah, no, with photography, I love taking photos everywhere I go, especially Cause you see things that are so awe inspiring to you. Like when you travel, that's just kind of the way it is. And I feel like with photography, it's just kind of a game to try to capture that. And you never fully do, but it's fun to see how close you can get. And then when you look back on it, like I can go through my photos now and see things that I have totally forgotten about. And like music, I think music does the same thing. Like I was saying the last time we chatted, um, <laughs> I was in my car coming home from work like less than a week ago and this song by Missy Elliott, <laughs> I think it was Missy Elliott. Uh, it's like lighters up. Yeah. Yeah. Put your, put your lighters up and it came on and I hadn't heard the song since 
I was in Switzerland and I could, as soon as it came on, I just remembered exactly the road I was walking on the last time I had heard it. And I could like, if I went on Google maps right now, I could find the spot and point <laughs> it out. Cause yeah. I remember like the stretch of road I was walking on and I remember details of the road and it was weird cause I had totally forgotten about it until the song came on. And I was just listening, like I'm driving home from work, but I'm really in Switzerland in my, in my mind. So I think photos can kind of do that too. I, it, like I said, I, I make that joke a lot, but, and I'm, I, I like taking photos too. And I also like just trying to be in the moment as much as possible. But hearing you talk about that, it makes me want to, I like videos. I really like taking videos where you can like hear people's voices and stuff. Yes. But photos are cool. Like when you can take a photo and like at someone's house and then like you look at the photo later and you're like, wow, I didn't notice that on the wall in the picture. Yeah. I actually saw your video uh, that you put together after your trip and it just made me like <laughs> so, rem so remorseful that I didn't take a video. I have like, I have some videos, but I don't know. I've just never like gotten into videography or filmings. Like, you know, I do it here and there, but there is so much content you have. And I have photos, which I love, but I'm like, oh, I wish I had taken more photos. Cause yeah, the voices. Yeah. And it's, I love, I love the accents, the voices pretty much. It seems like everyone in Europe speaks English and they all speak it differently. So that was kind of interesting just to hear everyone's take on it. And they're all, they're all like surprisingly great at speaking English. Cause I, if I learned like, you know, French or something, it would sound god awful. Yeah, I, I, I was very impressed too with the amount of people who could speak English or more than more than that. And uh, I, I'm the same way. I only speak English, and I think you know, as a kid, you know, they grow up learning at an earlier age. But yeah, it's uh, it's admirable for sure. And some people it's kind of now that I think about it it's kind of funny that of all the countries in Europe where I've met people and like conversed with them in English the hardest to understand is Scottish Scottish <laughs> yeah Irish they're, yeah. they're speaking English but I like have a much easier time understanding someone from Germany yeah or, or Switzerland or like yeah Bulgaria or, or like some random country because they they learn English like modeling it after either American or British. Right. Whereas Scottish has, has, they've been speaking English so long, but it's like just branched off. I, but like, um, I met a, a good friend in the Manchester airport who actually I stayed with. That was like kind of another story, but my last like five hours in Europe were in the Manchester airport before I flew home. And I met a girl, Kirsty, who was on her way to Mexico to teach English for a year. And we hit it off, and she invited me to Mexico. So that was, like, what sparked my whole Mexico trip. Oh. And she's great, but I had more trouble, like, understanding what she was saying than, like, most of the most of Europe. <laughs> because she was from Scotland? She's Yeah, she's Scottish. And, like... yeah. The accent is so different. And she's, and also, and she's it's not just the accent. They have so much slang. It's like a slang heavy dialect. It's like worse than California. 
California has their own slang too, and, and Scottish people have like their own their whole own dialect with this accent is great. I think it's kind of funny to listen to, but it's like entertaining. And the one Scottish person I met is amazing. So only yeah. good thing. Props to Scotland. Yeah, let's. Um... Why don't you just go from there? So I know, like, I was wasn't trying to go chronologically, but um, <laughs> I haven't been. Yeah. So why don't you? Sure. You, I because I saw on here. Yeah, you went to Mexico. So I wasn't sure if that was a resort, but yes, you went to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that trip, if you want. Um, yeah. Sure. Mexico is awesome. A lot of cool people. Also colorful. The countries that I've stayed in have like oddly similar characteristics like India and Mexico very different but at the same time very similar because they're very colorful people like they just value like it, it's so vibrant everywhere you go the buildings um, not as much in India but in Mexico the buildings are all super colorful like the clothing is all super colorful in both places and this food is spicy as hell, and everyone is super friendly. So, where did you go in Mexico? So, Kirsty, who had invited me to visit, was staying in Leon, which is like central Mexico. I didn't see a beach the whole time I was there. We thought about going to the beach, but it's like a six hour drive, and I was only there for a week. Do they have a train there? Like, could you have taken a train? Uh, it's more buses. Buses, okay. And I'm sure they have trains too, but it, most people travel by bus, I think, for public distance transport. But I flew into Mexico City, was there for like three days. She said, this is a great thing about travelers, is it's just a whole network. That's, that's like the best thing about, I think, people who travel in general, is they're so helpful to other travelers. Yeah. So I or met who Chris. have tra- or who have traveled and like yeah yeah so like if Chris someone if, sorry but if someone like in Philadelphia like came to you and they're like oh like do you know where I can find this place or something and you're like of like you feel like yeah. obligated to help because <laughs> you're like I've been there like just a willingness to help that I think is I mean you find that in a lot of like subcultures but in traveling it's especially apparent because. Kirsty sent me, a, I told her, I'm like, oh, I'm flying into Mexico City, and she's in Leon, which is, like, hours away, but she was like, oh, I have a friend, Jorge, he lives in, Me- he has an apartment in Mexico City, let me talk to him, and then the next day, she was like, hey, Jorge said you can stay with him, let me give you his number, he, this is where he lives, blah, 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 and so I hung out with Jorge for, like, three days, and he was brilliant, <laughs> he was a really nice guy, um, great location, he was, like, right in the middle and he showed me around. He took me to get some delicious food, which is like part of the part of the allure of like other cultures is trying the food. So I didn't die, thankfully, because my spice tolerance isn't as high as it was when I went to India. But uh, no, that was great. So I stayed with Jorge for a few nights. Then I went, took a bus to Leon, visited Kirsty. We went. It was like near Guanajuato, 
or I guess Guanajuato is like a, a city and a, like a province or state. I guess it's a state there. Um, so we visited like a few other cities, San Miguel and they, which is like one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Really cool place. Um, Guanajuato is really cool. Leon, where she lives, beautiful also. So it was just like kind of paradise. And I feel like when Americans think of going to Mexico, it's like beach it up. But I did the opposite. And I had wanted to go to the beach. I'm not pretending like, oh, no. You know, that's just, it didn't work in, in, into the plans. But it was unbelievable. It was hot, but it was unbelievable. <laughs> cool. I like I like hearing that you had such a good experience in Mexico because even, like, I don't know how many times I hear, like, you know, if you're not going to a resort in Mexico, like, to actually explore Mexico, it's like, there's, there's, I feel like there's this huge stigma that's like, oh, that's a dangerous place, like, don't go to Mexico, like, well, not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was warned by people there, like, watch your, watch yourself, because even, like, she, she taught English, and at the university, I went with her, I met, I took a bus to meet her at the university, and the two of us and two of her students went out to, to get food at like one of her favorite spots. And I, so I was talking to them and they were like practicing their English with me, which was kind of cool. Cause it's funny the things they pick up. Um, but they were telling, they were saying like, they were both from right outside of Mexico city in like small towns. And the one guy has like, they've both been mugged like multiple times, like with the yeah, gunpoint or knife, usually with knives. <laughs> the one kid had a story. He was walking home in his hometown as like a 19 year old. And he's walking down the street and there's like a group of guys or whatever. And then they surround him. And the one guy like pulls out a knife and he's like, give me your wallet. And it was a kid that he recognized from like elementary school. <laughs> and he, he called, he just said like whatever his name was, he just said his name and he's like, what are you doing? I know where you live. I, <laughs> My mom I, has I tea with your, your mom. Mother. <laughs> and the kid like looks around and then he just like let him go. <laughs> but it was, it was, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's not dangerous, but like, because there's, there's there's bad people everywhere, especially when there's like poverty. Right. I guess that lowers people inhibitions when they're hungry or like don't have enough money. But nah, it, there there's so many wonderful people there that it was it's totally worth it. And I think as long as you like have your wits about you, it's it's pretty much fine. Yeah, like you. you I, was, I wasn't in like a bad area i guess i mean there are a couple times where i'm like really looking around but in general i didn't feel unsafe and i was walking around mexico city at night by myself so i mean maybe not the smartest thing but it's not like i don't know i guess everyone has their own story but i wouldn't shy away from going there it also helps being like a guy and kind of large right right a wrestler 
So I feel like I could handle myself. If, <laughs> and wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not, unless someone has a gun, yeah. I'm not really like worried about it. Whereas if I was like, you know, traveling alone as, as a woman, I feel like I would be terrified, but I'll never understand or experience that. So I guess that's for, but I've talked like, I was visiting a girl who lived, she had roommates, but she did plenty of traveling in Mexico by herself. So she, you know, it's not like a terrifying place that I, like it gets painted with the, that kind of brush, but there's, there's more good people than bad. Good. Good. Um, you can say that about everywhere pretty much. Yeah, for sure. Oh man. There's, there's some places, uh, in, yeah, in the U S I'd rather walk through Mexico city at night by myself than go some of these places, like, even in Philly, like there's some, some places in Philly I wouldn't go. It's everywhere. Right. For sure. We have those places in Canada too. No, no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, you don't. <laughs> Everyone's nice in Canada. <laughs> that's that's really funny. Because that's Canada doesn't have any. <laughs> yeah, because I do hear that a lot, and like and that's what everyone says who I met traveling. Like, oh, you're from Canada. <laughs> Everybody's so nice there. <laughs> Yeah, you guys got that rep. Congrats. Yeah. It's good to have. Let's talk about your tur I mean, I want to hear about your turkey trip. Turkey. Great place. <laughs> what do you want to know? So after after your India trip, you like you said you got a touch of instable and so you wanted to go back to Turkey, right? Oh yeah. It was amazing. I mean, part of it was like, it was my first real international experience. So I was already in love with traveling. I didn't have like, I mean, I had a job, but I was thinking about leaving and I was single and I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't have a career that I want to stay in and I don't have a girlfriend or like a serious relationship. So I need to see the world before one of those two things changes. Because right. in my mind, it's like the only justifiable reasons for not traveling, apart from not having enough money to do it, is a relationship or a career. Because if you don't have either of those that you're tied to, like you can always get another job. Or another girlfriend. Or another girlfriend. <laughs> not sure, actually. I'm still waiting on that. But, uh, no, I, I mean, I wasn't tied down by either of those. So I was like, I got to do it now because I could meet someone tomorrow that I want to spend my life with. Right. At that point, it's like, I'm not going to want to leave for seven months or a year to go see the world like because I'm going to be invested. And the same thing could happen with a career, too. Like, if I had the job of my dreams. It's like, do I really want to leave this to go see the world? Like, maybe not. So what is the job of your dreams? 
Can that so, be, how about Turkey? <laughs> is that uh, can that be? Um, uh, can we? Is that like a physical thing? Like, can we figure out? Can you figure? Do you, could you see that? You're the, no. Because that's important, right? If you don't know, if you don't know what the the your dream job is, it's like how can how can that come to fruition, right? Like you at, at least at least have an idea of what it is, right? I I think that's the first step. But I'm not there yet. Okay, we we can talk about that uh, after. Let's talk about Turkey. Yeah, Turkey's great. Turkey has so many helpful people. Which the same could be said about pretty much everywhere. I actually made a list because he asked me to like brush up on my trips beforehand. And like I said, like, and stories or whatever. But everything I came up with was stories about people that I've met rather than the places, which I think is kind of telling about like tra travel in general, at least for me, is like when people ask, like, oh, what were your favorite places? It's always my my answers are always the places where I met the coolest people rather than the coolest places. So that's kind of a big part of it. Turkey. You're like the Scottish airport. Like, like the Scottish airport, <laughs> even though, well, it wasn't in Scotland. Or Ma Manchester I've airport. I've yeah. been to Scotland. I just met one Scottish Right. The Manchester airport. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no. So I kind of got a sense for that off the bat. Because there were two Turkish people. Actually, there were a few Turkish people that I knew at FNM, even though I wasn't really friends with them. I was friendly. Like, we knew each other, but we never really hung out. But it was actually, you could tell right away that people just want to help. Because the night before I left for Turkey, when I decided to move there, I quit my job and I bought a one-way ticket. And I was like, I'm moving to Turkey. Straight up. And that's when this whole, like, Turkey slash Euro trip started. And then on the last day of the Euro trip, I met Kirsty from Scotland, who was going to Mexico, and that's how the whole Mexico trip started. So Weird. Crazy. Before the inviting me to India essentially led me to go to Turkey. And Turkey led me to travel to Europe. And then on my last like five hours in Europe, I met Kirsty who like convinced me to go to Mexico, which was not hard to do. And so it was like, it's kind of funny because every trip just like leads to another one. Although I didn't meet anyone in Mexico that wants me to go to some other random country. So I was going to say that. Yeah. Team just ended. But, but uh, maybe it, maybe it could have led you to something like this doing the podcast and then sure. like but anyway turkey the night before i left i reached out i was I, i'm in bed and i'm like looking at instagram just like about to fall asleep and i see this girl that i knew at fnm had posted like some photo i don't even remember what it was and i'm like zena this this girl is turkish so I sent her a message and I said, Hey, I hope you're well, blah, blah, blah. Don't know if you really like, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I'm moving to Istanbul tomorrow. If you have <laughs> any like tips, let me know. So I sent her that message, like asking for tips and tricks or like, you know, 
any info about Istanbul because she was from Istanbul. Uh, her and her twin sister were both from Istanbul. Both went to F and M, and I met them because they lived in the, my old room. I went to visit one day for no reason. I was like, "Oh, let's see who lives in my old room." Nice. It's them. Um, but anyway, I sent the message, and then I fell asleep. Uh, the next day, I woke up, and I'm like leaving for the airport to go to Turkey, and I get a message. Or I was actually going to Dubai for a week then to Turkey. But I get a message and I was just shocked at like how helpful she was. Her and her sister both. She was like, hey, great to hear from you. I mean, I don't remember what she said exactly, but the gist was, we both are in Istanbul. Let us know, blah, blah, blah. This is great. So they, they gave me a tour. This was, This was the first time I went, but they like showed me around. They gave me like, they took me to all the places. They dealt with all the hagglers for me because they speak Turkish, obviously, which is a godsend because the Turkish like street merchants are just incessant with their like peddling and it can be overwhelming. It's, I think it's worse than India because India is kind of known for like people trying to sell you stuff. And Turkey is like on another level. But anyway, they were super helpful. And then... How were they helpful with the hecklers? Oh, well, it was like, I'm obviously not Turkish. A lot of Turkish people like have a similar look, like dark hair. If you go there, you get a sense for what Turkish people look like. So anyway, they can tell right away I'm not Turkish, which means I'm a tourist, which right. means... I come to spend money right. and I want souvenirs, obviously. <laughs> I, I didn't really, but <laughs> um, everywhere I went, people would just heckle you. I had a guy follow me for like four blocks trying to get me to come to his jean shop. He's like, you need a pair of jeans. I didn't need jeans. And I said, no, the first thing you learn in Turkey is like, hi, it's like, no. That just it was the only word I word I learned the first day. It was like I said no five thousand times, <laughs> but they're like they're very persistent. He's but, like putting the sweater on you, like he's like <laughs> yeah, because I've been to places but like that they're too. They're not afraid to touch you. One guy was like, who would like grab my elbow and like try to steer me to his shop. Yeah, my friend, my friend, my friend. <laughs> yeah, they're all very helpful and they're so kind. Yeah, trying to get business. Um, no, but when I went around with them, it was like, the funny thing is they have like, I guess a, a, they had a Russian grandmother, I think was the thing, but they both had blonde hair, which like no Turk has blonde hair. So again, the vendors would see the three of us like, oh, three blonde people, like tourists, let's sell them shit. And they would step up and like say, hi, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And the Aisha and Zainab, would just like just respond in Turkish, like no, we're not interested. And the guys would be shocked, like the look on their faces is hilarious. They're like, "Oh my god, this girl knows Turkish!" Turkish yeah. And they would ask, like, "Where are you from?" And how do you speak Turkish so well? And they, every time they'd have to explain that they're actually Turkish, and like, it was hilarious. But it was nice not having because I from that the whole day that I spent with them, I didn't have to like deal with the hecklers. So that's how they were helpful. They also gave me 
I mean, that was the beginning of how they were helpful. They took me out to dinner. They wouldn't let me pay. They're like hospitality all the way. I'm like, oh, these people are kind of amazing. So, <laughs> no, they were they were great, and they also apparently saved my life because I had bought a, a Drogba jersey. He's like a huge footy star, like soccer football player, um, who played for Galatasaray, which is like one of the three. Istanbul teams. He was like a, a big time star. So I found a jersey of his on the street that I bought and I was like I was going out with them and I, I put it on. They they met me at the hostel. I put the sh- the jersey on and was like about we were about to leave and sh- uh, I forget who said it, but one of them said, "Oh, you can't wear that." Like very matter of factly. But I thought she was joking, so I kind of laughed and I like went to walk around her. And she stepped in front of me again. She's like, like you, "You have to change. Like you can't wear that jersey out." And I'm like, "I'm from Philly. I'll be fine." <laughs> really from Philly, but <laughs> they were like looking at me like this guy doesn't know what he's getting himself into, kind of. And then, but they gave up. They're like, "Okay." So I took like four more steps, and then the guy who owned the hostel saw me and like jumped in front of the door and he's like, you need a new shirt. And I'm like, is this, are they serious right now? And the guy said, you're going to get stabbed. Straight, he was like, you're going to get stabbed. Cause that night there was like a huge match between Besiktas and Galatasaray. Like two, Istanbul's so big. They have three like major league soccer teams. And two of them were playing each other. And it apparently is like the biggest deal in sports in Turkey, I guess. So things get heated between the fans. And basically, they forced me to change my shirt. <laughs> but I was fine anyway. I, I put a new shirt on. It was all good. But they were just looking out for me. And that's how like everyone in Turkey is. Except for the one dude that robbed me. But, yeah, yeah, you can. You can tell that story if you want. Yeah, I got robbed. I like to hear that story. Well, everyone's so helpful. Like, everywhere you go, people are like, you can ask anyone and they'll, like, help you out. And you kind of get lulled into, like, I guess just the, the, the feeling of safety because everyone's so helpful. But obviously there's pickpockets around or, like, thieves, I guess. And any city especially when you're it's it's different i guess in the u.s because you can't tell by looking if someone is a tourist you can kind of like i mean obviously if they're doing touristy things you can but like taking the pictures with rocky yeah. Like. <laughs> doing what we did when you came to philly yeah um no but in turkey it's like they can tell by looking at you if you're not from turkey like right away um I was stupid enough to go to an ATM on like one of the main streets. Istiklal street is like the main street and it's where all the tourists go. Cause it's the main street. Um, and I was at a, uh, ATM and I think it was like, it was in Turkish. Usually there's like a screen, I guess with like the languages, but I didn't see that that screen. I put my card in and it's like not, it doesn't swallow the whole card. Part of the card stick sticks out. And then 
the guy at the ATM next to me, he was like this old man. He's like, and I'm looking at it and it's in Turkish. I'm like, oh crap. And he, he's like, do you need help? Obviously this would be like a red flag because normally you're like guarded around ATMs. All right. But the guy, he was like an old man and he seemed so friendly. He's like, do you need help? And I was, I was like, yeah, I just want it to be in English. And so he like steps over and he's hitting buttons on the screen. Next thing I know, he's on my right. Someone else, it was a, it was a pair. It was like a team. Someone else comes up on my left and is like strangely close to me and said something under his breath. And I just glanced at him. And I knew as soon as I did, I glanced at him. To, and I said like, what? Because I thought he had said something to me. And then I look back, my card's gone. I turn, did not see the guy. I'm to this day, like amazed that he just disappeared. And I'm like, I look for like a couple seconds and then I turn back to the other guy and he's gone. And I felt like such an idiot. And next thing I know, I'm like, and I was with my landlord because I was withdrawing money to pay for my apartment. And immediately I just got so paranoid and I like, I got in the landlord's face and I, cause I thought the landlord landlord was in on it. This was the day I met him. And I'm like, did you set this up? Cause he, we, we were walking to the ATM and he made a phone call and he was talking in Turkish. So I didn't understand what he was saying. And I'm like, did you set this set up? Cause I'm like, maybe he was like, he could have just called them and been like, Hey, I got this guy where I'm, we're going to the ATM so he can withdraw money to pay me. Like it easily could have been the case. I don't know to this day. He was like really offended that I thought he was in on it. And I didn't know who to trust at this point. So I just sprinted top speed all the way back to the apartment, ran on the computer, canceled my card. They had already emptied it, which was like amazing. And they had emptied it from a bank, like in a really crappy, like a, notoriously bad neighborhood in Turkey or in Istanbul. So luckily I had Charles Schwab. I'm not like endorsed by Charles Schwab, but of my own free will, we'll say that they are lifesavers because they put all the money back in the account like three within three days. Cause I told them, I was like, Hey, I just, my card got stolen and they drained my account. And then I had to get a police report to like ver to prove it. Um, that's where like the whole travelers network comes in because the girl that I had taken an art history course with at college, Nas is also from Turkey, set me up with one of her friends, Medic, hooked me up. She, she's a lawyer from Istanbul who was living in Istanbul at the time. And I, I like texted my few friends that I had at that point. Cause this was like early on and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And she, luckily I texted her and she, she was like, okay, meet me at the police station. Cause we got to get a police report. And she was a lawyer. So she knew what she was doing. And she spoke, she's, she's brilliant, but she has like perfect English, obviously perfect Turkish. Cause she grew up there and we went to the police station. She spent like, it was like four hours in the police station because the police do not want to help Americans or like foreigners in general, especially one that doesn't speak Turkish. The Turkish people are friendly, excluding the police. They're not helpful. 
But luckily, I had Medich with me. She, like, translated my whole story for me to the police and was super helpful. And, like, the police told her straight up they, like, weren't even going to deal with it. Like, sorry. And I'm sitting there, and the whole thing is in Turkish, so I don't really know what's being said. She was, like, she would cut back and, like, tell me what was going on. But she got in this police officer's face for me and basically was like, I know how things are run. I'm a lawyer. Like she pulled out her whatever ID and she basically just strong armed this small police office in Istanbul into writing me a police report. It was amazing. I was just like, this is unbelievable. And then while we had been in the waiting room, this French exchange student came in same thing. He, he, all he spoke was French and like a little English. So we were trying to talk to him, but he said the same thing happened to him. It was the same team at the exact same ATM. And she like went in and did the whole thing again for him and got him a police report. So weird. It was like, it was a shitty day, but at the, like looking back, I'm just amazed that people are this helpful and she didn't even charge me. Not that I, I mean, I didn't have any money either. <laughs> and looking back, like, marriage, if you ever see this, I owe you big time. And bill me if you want. <laughs> or just uh, come visit and I'll repay you in Philly. Uh, I don't what? Philly steaks, cheesesteaks. <laughs> There's no amount of Philly cheesesteaks that could, that could repay this. But she's pretty much saved me and... Because of the police report that she demanded, I got all my money back. So, shout that, out to, to the good Turks. Yeah, I remember when you told me that story, and it just got me thinking um, to be more self-aware when I'm traveling. Because yeah. I had nothing bad happen um, in regards to, like, you know, getting losing something. Yeah, knock on wood. Like, <laughs> Like, uh, in regards to, like, losing money or losing my passport or something. And, like, the worst thing that happened was, like, I hopped on a couple wrong trains, right? Um, But once you told me that story, it just made me realize it is good to still be aware that I thought if just as positive as I could be during my trip that nothing bad was going to happen and that I was being very trusting to people. Like I got on a train once and I was just trying to find my seat and like I was kind of looking at my ticket and then the guy like looked at me. He like grabbed the ticket out of my hand. He's like, oh, it's this way. It's this way. And I was like, okay. And like he was kind of like going fast. He started like kind of going quite faster down the hall and in the train. And uh, But he just was super helpful. He's like, yeah, you're right there. And um, even my very first day in Portugal, I walked, I got, uh, I was in the airport, took the train, and I came up the steps, and I was trying to find my couch surfer's place, and I couldn't find it. I had GPS, I still couldn't find it, and I'm walking back and forth, this heavy backpack, like, back and forth, and this lady just comes up to me on the street and just says, excuse me, are, are you lost? Do you, do you need uh, help finding a place? Um, and she helped me and, um, but I like what you said. Yeah. Like people are overly helpful that you need, you still need to be aware. And, but that, that sounded like a pretty smooth, like sneak attack that they probably do that on a regular basis. Yeah. The one police officer, there was one lady officer who was like, 
if not helpful, she was at least nice. And she was, because it was, I went in to tell my story, and we ran into this French, like, college kid who had the same thing happen. I'm like, so it is a professional team. Like, they yeah. do this regularly. And the lady said, like, yeah, someone came in with the exact same story a week ago. And, it, and all three were at that same ATM. And it's actually funny because I walk that street a lot. And some days I would just, like, stop on the other side of the road and just watch the ATM. Because I never gave up, like, finding the guys. And some days, like, when I didn't have anything to do, I would, like, if I was walking down the street, I would just stop for, like, ten minutes and post up, like, on the opposite side of the street and just see if, like, anyone tried anything at that ATM. Because it's be like a regular thing like how old was the guy oh the 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 main guy the first guy that offered to help me was probably like i would say 60 do you need help taking money out of your account (laughs) it's like no no, he just he just asked if i needed to change it to if i needed help changing it to english yeah yeah and then looking back on it, like, most of them have the screen, like, the first thing you see yeah, is... Yeah, the language. So I'm wondering if the whole ATM is just rigged. <laughs> because they had my PIN number, too, or else they wouldn't have been able to withdraw money. So I had entered the PIN initially. Yeah. So I, I guess they hit either... It's weird, though, because I always cover up the pad when I enter it, but, like, there, maybe there's a camera, or they were just had the vantage point where they could, like, see my number. Yeah. I don't know. They were slick. The only... The, the downside of it was it just made me paranoid. Like, it, for the whole rest of my trip, I was like... I mean, I never had anything stolen after that, so I guess it it worked, but it was just, like, frustrating being paranoid. And in Turkey, it's like... I mean, that could happen anywhere. Because apparently, in, like, Spain, pickpocketing and, and theft is, like, so much more rampant. Mm-hmm. but just like it kind of that aspect soured my experience in Turkey. If, if anything did just because I was like always, I guess, overcautious, like looking around whenever I'd go to withdraw money, I would, there was one ATM that I was like, that was off the beaten path kind of near my house, my apartment that I would go to. But like if there were, I, I would go at weird hours and if anyone else was there, I would just wait until it was like empty. Right. Can Can you talk about the prayer calls? The prayer calls. I miss it. It's like it's so relaxing. It's it's it's. You just kind of feel at peace. And I don't. I'm not really religious, and I'm certainly no Muslim, but it's so relaxing. There's five like the Muslims pray five times a day and every time it's the mosques would like broadcast the call. It it's like, it's kind of like rhythmic, not a chant, but it's almost like a song. I don't really know how to describe it. You can Google it. It's on YouTube. Like, but it's so peaceful. I remember one time I was walking back from partying my first time in Istanbul and I, I walked like three hours home because I went to a, I walked all the way to a bridge that was closed to pedestrian traffic. So then I had to walk to another bridge. It was like, 
it was a nice walk, but it took like over three hours to get home. And I remember I was, it was like 5.30 in the morning when I was on the same street as my hostel. And the call started. I don't really remember what time it was exactly, but it was like, I think it was before 6 a.m. And I just stood there and I'm like, this is beautiful. I wish I could just like hear this all the time. So, but it's five times a day. It's really cool. So what what do you mean what happens? So when the call is going on, like do people stop what they're doing and and like go down their knees and pray? Or like what happens? Uh, some do. I feel like Istanbul is not as religious as maybe like a more rural area. So it's not like the whole city stops. But some do. You see it sometimes. But... I don't know. It's not like it's not like everything stops. It's Istanbul is such an international like metropolitan city that like yeah, it's still like predominantly Muslim, but there's people from all over. I wouldn't say it's like. I mean, they paint a picture that like the world stops and everyone starts praying, and like you see that too, but a, t a small degree. But and when I what the first. Uh, the first time I don't remember the first time I heard it but that first time it sticks out when I was walking home and I heard the morning prayer call it was like I was the only one there I didn't see another soul because it was 5.30 in the morning and it was like I wasn't near like a mosque mosque I was, I was it was from the Hagia Sophia which is like a big tourist trap kind of it, it, the mosque is like over a thousand years old and it's the biggest it's huge right uh, it's not like a place where people go to pray it's not like a local mosque that the neighborhood would go to so i didn't see anyone there but it was really cool because it was like the dawn had just started like there's no sun yet but the sky was like starting to get light and it's just a beautiful sound check it out it's like uh i will it's like uh you know, a meditation during the day, like to. It sounds like meditation, kind of. I mean, I don't really meditate either, but it's hard not to hear it and just feel like, especially when it's that early in the morning. Just felt so relaxed. Although some people find it annoying because it is five times a day and it's loud. <laughs> like I could understand if you like. I could understand like finding it annoying if you're not if you didn't grow up there or whatever, or even if you did, but. I thought it was really cool. Turkey is such a great place. I want to go back. There's so many like sights and smells and food that I miss. Although Turkish food is all over Europe, there's like hardly any in the U.S. Because everywhere you go in Europe, no matter where you are, there's always like Turkish food you can find. So what is like Turkish food? Oh, doner kebab. They ha it's like doner, yeah, doner kebab. Yeah. There's, there's Oh, it's so good. I want to go back. Manta, it's like, I don't even know, I don't even know how to describe it. Actually, some of the best Turkish, some of my, my favorite uh, Turkish meal was in Italy. There's just this little Turkish shack, like, on this, near one of the train stations in Italy that I was stuck at, um, near, like, Pisa, Pisa. 
pizza. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about food now. No, but it was like, I just, I, I was waiting for a train connection between Pisa and Florence. And I was just stuck at this train station for like, I, I, might've been overnight. I think that was maybe one of the four times I slept outside, but four they, times, four had, times. I think it was four times. Yeah. Sometimes you're just homeless for a night, which makes for a better story than experience. But I think that's a really common theme in traveling with walking <laughs> and the amount of walking that I, I've done traveling and you also is like, and then you you kind of stop doing that as much when you come to your hometown. Like, oh yeah, I don't walk at all here. Yeah, occasionally I'll go for walks in Philly, but I went to the party I went to last night is like eight blocks away, and I drove. Because <laughs> I'm a fat American, like that's what we do. <laughs> no, we get that rep, but like, no, seriously, I don't really walk much. But when I'm traveling, I could walk for eight hours. Actually, this is kind of a funny segue if you want to hear another story. Of course. Like, I haven't even asked you about Europe yet. Well, this this next story involves walking, sleeping outside, and it's in Europe. So. Okay, yeah. Let's, let's go so, for it. This was a story of, like, me checking off a bucket list item I've had my whole life. Okay, perfect. Because, and it's in Europe. And it, so, I've always, I... My dad used to race, like, cycling. So we grew up cycling and watching the Tour de France and stuff. Always wanted to see it in person. And so early on in my trip, I didn't have a set itinerary. But I only had two dates set for the whole trip. It was July 14th to see the Tour de France in Mont Ventoux, which is like a famous mountain that they go up in the Tour de France. The course changes every year, but Mont Ventoux has like been in the tour like a bunch, and it's just like an iconic mountaintop finish for one of the stages. So that was like, I had just my sights set on seeing the Tour de France on Mont Ventoux. It was, it was perfect. So... But Mont Ventoux is like kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's not like next to a city. And the best places. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to do it because the tour is a huge deal. Like they estimated that there was over 500,000 people on the mountain itself watching, like just along the road, 500,000 people watching the tour. Wow. Um, and there's only two towns next to the mountain. It's like Bedouin, I guess. It's like Wawang, the French. I don't know. It looks like Bedouin to me, but I don't know how to make French noises. So anyway, that was the one town. The other town, I forget, but all the hotels in the town were filled up because people book for the Tour de France a year in advance. And, like, the teams themselves, like, the, the race support teams and, you know, the whole event planners, like, they book most of the hotels when they set the course. So there's no rooms. I found one room available, and it was, it was like, f almost 500 euros for, like, a tiny motel room. 
And I'm like, no, <laughs> not happening. Anyway, so I ended up talking with this girl, Mila, who was the most irrationally helpful person I think I've ever met. Maybe. I've met a lot of irrationally helpful people. But she, I talked to her and I was like, hey, I'm, well, we chatted for a little bit and I was, she was like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Do you want to hang out? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to hang out. Honestly, I'm really just like, I just want to see the Tour de France. Like, that's what I'm here for. And, I, and I'm, this is like a, a week ahead. I just want to see the Tour de France. She's like, oh, that's a great idea. Wow, wow, let's hang out. Let me know when you, when your train gets here. So I pulled in on the train. I like get the train station Wi-Fi and I was like, hey, I'm here. She comes, picks me up. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. She's like, let's go around Avignon. I arrived the day before, by the way, July 13th. She takes me around Avignon, which is like a beautiful little French city, like, if it's even a city, it might be a town. I'm not sure. It's tiny for a city. It was a great time. They have a festival there that lasts a month, and it's all street artists. So we listen. We just walk around listening to music like the whole day. We had a nice restaurant. I like this, or had a nice dinner at this restaurant. Then we're we're just like killing time, whatever. And my plan was, I'm gonna go sleep at the base of the mountain that night hike up to the top the next morning in time to see the finish that's what i told her i was like yeah i just gotta i take a hitchhike or whatever she's like no i'll just take you and it's like the town of bedwall is like at the base of the mountain it's like 50 minutes away she just drives me no like i was amazed Cause I didn't even ask. I didn't, if it was like 10 minutes, I might've asked like, Hey, would it be all right? If you, could I get a ride? Blah, blah, blah. So this was like 50 minutes away, five zero. And I'm like, I didn't even ask. Cause I'm like, I can't expect her to drive me out there. So I'm thinking I'll just hitchhike. And then she was like, no, I'll just take you. It's easier that way. Like, okay. So she drives <laughs> me out into the countryside Hey, we we're in this town and she's we're driving around i'm like i'm telling her oh i'm looking for a good place to sleep basically on the side of the road and she's like oh you're gonna sleep on the sidewalk no i i know someone who has an orchard like a house here next to an orchard and we go and she's like picking fruits or whatever at the orchard <laughs> we were just having a ball like i didn't really have a plan other than hiking up the mountain the next day. So we were just winging it. We were like picking, picking. She was looking for fruits in this orchard. And she was like, yeah, the farmhouse is right down this road. And we're driving down this dirt road. And like, if it had anyone been anyone other than her, I would have been like, oh, this is creepy as hell. But she's like a tiny petite person. And I didn't think she had a gun or anything. So I wasn't really concerned. Um, then she's like, yeah, you can stay in this house. A guy I know lives here. <laughs> But he's not in the country right now. And I'm, I'm like, now that's when I'm like, this is really shady. I'm like, what's your relationship with this person? Like, would he be? Uh, good question. Good question. Yeah. She goes, she goes, well, he, he's 
he's an ex-boyfriend. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, so. And she said, oh, he leaves the back porch unlocked all the time. And I'm thinking, I'm, this is a bad idea. I go, so you guys are on good terms? Like, he'd be cool with this? And she, she, she goes, well, if he saw me again, he might shoot me. Oh, my God. You'll be okay. And I'm thinking, no. I don't want to wake up to, like, a shotgun in my face. <laughs> Even though she was like, no, he's out of the country. I know he's not in, he's not in France right now. I didn't take her up on that because that sounded like the worst idea ever. So I was like, no, let's go back into town because we start driving through the town again. And then, and the road, the whole town, the, all the roads are lined with like cars and campers because people are staying, like everyone's there for the race. It's dead because it's so late at night. Then we see these, we pass these people who are like clearly drunk walking up the side of the road. And I was like, they look lost. Should we give them a ride? And I was like half joking. And she just stops, throws it in reverse, backs off, <laughs> down her window. And she goes, do you guys need a ride? And I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this. And they're, they're Australians or New Zealanders. I think they're Australian. And they're like, yeah, we can't find our camper or RV or whatever. We call them campers. I don't know who calls them what. So we, they get in the car. There's three guys. They're like very drunk and in great spirits. And none of them are cycling fans, but they came to see the Tour de France. Okay. <laughs> and we drive all over the place, like all the way up the road. The one guy's saying, yeah, it's right here. It's right up, right up here. No, it's not. It's a little further. And we just kept going like this for like four miles. And then we get to a barricade where like, cause the course is barricaded off. And then this, this like security guard is like, no, you can't come up here. It's closed for the race. That was the next morning. So we turn around and we go back and it turns out their RV had been like 50 yards from where we picked them up. <laughs> of course. And not only that, <laughs> it was so obvious. There's a massive, massive Australian flag hanging on the side. It was like, guys, how did you miss this? <laughs> he drove right by it, like maybe 20 seconds after we picked him up. But anyway, then they invited us in. They're like, oh, we have like, we have beers and stuff in the RV. You guys want a party? Uh, I mean, I wasn't drinking, but I'm like, yeah, let's do this. So we just hung out in the RV till like two in the morning. And the one guy had a ukulele. And we were just like, they were pretty drunk. We were singing songs and having a great time and eating cheese. They had like a lot of cheese. And so that was like kind of the end of the night. Then we left. Me and Mila pulled out and we start driving back into town. And I'm like, yeah, just leave me along the side of the road because I'll find a place to sleep. And then that'll be that. And I'm thinking, I have like my stuff in the back, my carry-on. And I get to think, I'm like, I'm not carrying this thing up the road. But I had spent, like, all day with her, and she seemed, like, very trustworthy. So I was like, could I have, like, all of your information and your address and phone number and, like, every way to contact you possible? <laughs> I'm just going to leave my suitcase, my carry-on in your car. And she was like, okay. 
so this was, and I had gone from like the whole time being very cautious with my things and like super protective, but I was like dead set on seeing the tour and I knew I wasn't carrying that thing all the way up the mountain. So she dropped me off and I like, I had in my notepad and in my phone, like mul multiple copies and iterations of all of her info, but I just like waved goodbye and she drove off with my carry-on of all my stuff. So all I had was my backpack with my camera. Your passport? What? Your passport? Yeah, I, I had my passport. My passport, my camera, a jar of Nutella, and one water bottle. Man, I forgot you had that Nutella. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had I had so much Nutella. That <laughs> anyway, I... I found a spot on the sidewalk next to a well that had like an overhang. So I was under a roof and I just slept there. And then the next morning I woke up at like eight and the town was buzzing because there was like, all the, it was dead when we were there the night before. And it was like so many people. So I, and I remember it was funny. I stood up from behind this little well where I'd been sleeping on the sidewalk and I just stood up and these ladies like looked at me. Like, where did he come from? But I had just woken up and I was still like wiping the sleep out of my eyes. And then I just took off and I'm like, all right, I got to walk up this mountain now. And I, it was like, I think I ended up walking 44 kilometers that day. It was like 22 kilometers up the mountain and another 22 back. So it, in miles, it's like 32, 31 miles. So it was like probably the most walking I've ever done in one day and half of it was up a mountain and it was, it was a beautiful day. It was like gorgeous out and I walk up and you're walking up with like hundreds of thousands of people because everyone in the town is just start walking up in the morning and the race is like a hundred miles or something. So the, the race doesn't even get there until like later in the day. So the whole morning, everyone's just migrating up the mountain. And I met some cool people on the walk up. There's like an iconic fan of the Tour de France who dresses up as the devil and like runs alongside the race. And I actually saw him. So I took a photo with him. That was cool. Because, you know, it was like for a cycling fan, I guess. No one else probably has ever heard of this. But, yeah, I made it. They had said the wind, they changed the finish line because usually the finish is the top of the mountain. But they said the wind was too severe. They moved the finish line down to the tree line. And so I get up to the finish and they still said there was like two hours supposedly or an hour and a half till the race arrives. And I, I'm looking at the top of the mountain from where I am and I'm thinking I did not walk all this way to stop like four kilometers short of the top. Right. And I asked the guy next to me, I was like, so what time exactly are the riders going to get here? He like told me whatever. And I was cutting it close, but I'm like, all right, I'm getting to the top of the mountain. Cause I knew if I waited, I wouldn't be able to do it after. So I was just power walking the whole way up. <laughs> I, I was kind of thinking like I had, you know, they said that the wind was too crazy on the mountain to, have a mountaintop finish, which is why they brought it lower. They shortened the race by six kilometers. And I thought that was soft. I'm like, God, oh, these guys are pansies. Like, wind? 
That's <laughs> no reason to shorten the race. But then I get above the tree line and I'm walking and the wind almost blew me off the mountain. <laughs> it was gusting like crazy. Like there were times where it was it was hard to walk because you just you're getting blown different directions. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, it is a good thing they didn't try to race up this because these people would die. They would be blown off the mountain. And, the, and people have died in like the tour in the tour de France. People have died on that mountain before. Like I passed a monument of one of the riders who had died on the mountain. So good thing they shortened it, but I power walked all the way up to the top, took like a few photos and then just ran down but on the way down. They had in that time that I had gone up, they blocked off the road. <laughs> Because they're like, oh, yeah, no, the race is almost here. Like, this section is blocked off. And I'm like, I came to France. I, I told the guy, I was like, I, I'm from America. I, I came to France just to see this. I, I told him I, the whole reason for my trip was to see this mountaintop finish. And the guy just didn't give a shit at all. He was like, you can go this way. And he points off the side of the road down the mountain. And I'm like okay, I'm doing this. And I just like hiked down the mountain and it's, you're just hiking through a boulder field, which is kind of risky business, but there's nowhere else to go because the road's locked. So I just like am stumbling down the mountain and then I eventually find a dirt path and I'm like hiking through a forest at this point. <laughs> and then I come around and I, I got back in time. So I did get to see uh, Chris Froome like – he was leading the race at the time and all the big names in the tour. So it was one of the best days ever. Although then I had to go back down. I saw the race. Like I got some photos of the riders after the race. It was cool. Then I had, then I had another 22 K to walk down. Which took a while. Then I went and found Mila and that was, she was kind enough to pick me up. Except I couldn't like, she wouldn't invite me to stay on her couch. I slept in her car outside of her apartment. <laughs> and I wasn't like, I wasn't going to ask. I was kind of hoping she'd be like, oh, do you want to like crash on my couch? But I realized the next day it was because she has like, she had a psycho roommate who was like psycho, I guess, and didn't want anyone like coming. Back. So like, understandable but i just passed out she parks her car and goes in and i passed out on the back seat and then she woke she like i woke up to her knocking on the door and she unlocks the car and she's like do you want to come up and i'm like yes because i was like i had walked like 30 miles the previous day i was like i smelled so bad <laughs> she's like i have coffee and like you can shower if you want and i was like yes <laughs> Thank you. That was amazing. I took like, that was one of the best showers I've ever taken. I really needed it. And then I don't drink coffee, but we had like a little breakfast and then she took me back to the, or yeah, she took me to the train station and I was like, but that was the end of the longest story I have. That That's a good story. Cause you, you told me that story, but a much shorter version of it. Yeah. Oh, well, I have to shorten it. I figured for this, I would just give you the full one because you can edit it if you want. But yeah, that's and I was cutting things out of that story too. But 
and that's the longest story because it just keeps going. There's so many aspects to it. I can't wait to see some pictures of like the mountain <laughs> and like the bike and and the Australian van and like. Yeah. yeah, she seemed like a fun, a fun girl. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing, and I, like I still keep in touch with her, and she's unbelievable. She speaks like three languages, and she's an unreal photographer and artist. So like right up my alley. That's awesome. We, we hit it off right away, and it wasn't like it wasn't like that, but no, she she. I'm so glad I met her though, because we have so many like uh common interests i guess she's hilarious yeah that's it's amazing when you you make those connections true yeah that's cool that like it seems seems common that you have these reoccurring positive things that happen like even when you got robbed in turkey and then you like had that lawyer friend and like who helped you out yeah. like like massive good luck like the tour to France story, like you met that girl and then the, I, yeah, it's like people are just irrationally helpful. I love it. And I don't know why I can't figure it out, but I, it, I can't say I'm not grateful because I'm grateful for every, the whole trip, except for the dude that robbed me. He can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool when you meet those people at hostels as a lot of the time. Yeah. They are going to where you just came from. And, uh, you can give each other tips on where yeah. you're They're like, Oh, I was just there. Or like, yeah. and that, well, that happened a lot. You gave me the, the tip about the heart of Grot trail, which I really want to do. I, so you went to Interlochen, right? Is in, Interlochen is where the start is, right? Is that right? Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. 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 I ended up not going. I, no, I think I was in Bern after I saw you. I was. Because when I was in Bern, I wanted to do the Heart of Grot Trail. I think. What was your experience in, in Bern then? Like, you had a pretty good time in Bern, right? Bern was great. Bern is one of my favorite places in Europe. Straight up. I had an awesome time. I found someone who could... Because initially, I was only planning on staying one night, so it was fine. But then I loved Burn so much, I'm like, oh, I got to stay another night or two. So I hit like hit up couch surfing again, and I found this girl, Vanessa, who said, like, yeah, I'm not really around, but I, I mean, I kind of said in my messages to the host, like, hey, hate to be a burden. Like, I'm trying to stay in Burn because it's such a great place. Um, it's, I know this is really last second, but I'm looking for a place tonight and or tomorrow. And I haven't had any luck. And Vanessa was like super helpful. And she said, yeah, I'm not really around much today, but like you can stay if you really need a place. Like kind of hesitant. But then when we met, it was like she was so hospitable and helpful. And she was amazing. She had this bike also. <laughs> I, just, I like anyone that has a bike, really. Uh, but she, this bike was like her pride and joy. It was she. I think she called it the Silver Surfer. It was like a, all silver. She had I think built it herself, and she like she cleans it. And it's she loves this bike. And she goes, we're hanging out. 
And her house is her house is in the best place ever because Bern is like a tiny town in the big oxbow like bend in the river. And her house was like right in you could see the river from her house. It was right inside. So the first day we we went uh she took me on one of the coolest experiences I had in Europe, which is we went to this park where like the grass is so green, it's like paradise in the mountains kind of. And it's just this huge what seems feels like a country club to us. It looks like a place that you'd have to pay like a ridiculous monthly membership to even step foot in, <laughs> but it's free. It's like this open free park. So we go there and she's like, Oh, we got to go swimming in the river. Like, cause that's the thing to do in burn in burn. So we like stripped down to our suits we had brought it was me her and one of her friends who was also really cool and so we like get into our bathing suits and i have like my phone and i didn't bring my wallet because I, I usually like i knew we were going swimming so i didn't bring my wallet but i have my phone and i'm like we're and there's lockers all around the park like not far i'm like oh sh can i like go put this stuff in my locker and she's like no we're in switzerland People don't steal things. And I'm like, people, people steal things everywhere. Yeah. And she's like, no, we're in Bern. Like, no one's going to steal anything. Because she left her wallet and her phone sitting on top of her shoes in the middle of the park and just started walking up the river. And I'm like, all right. But I'm extra protective because, like, all the photos I have from my trip and my phone and like, yeah. you know, I don't want to lose any of that. So like, I put my phone in my sock. Like I was in the same yeah, situation. Oh, I, I was like, I should we get, I was like, should I get a my locker? Phone, but like still yeah. anyone could. Just, and so we hiked like maybe a mile up the river or a couple kilometers, whatever. We went up the river and there was a bridge and I, she's like, okay. She, she had pretty much conditioned me for it the whole time. She's like, just so you know, the river is really cold if you want you can go there's shower there's like these shower heads on the trail that just like shoot cold water out she's like i find it helps to go in under the shower to get used to it before you jump in and i'm like no i'm just gonna jump in the <laughs> shower it, it was super hot wasn't it like when i was there it was i couldn't wait to get in the water but the water <laughs> the water was freezing yeah it wasn't actually that hot when we were there. It was kind of later in the day, too, so it kind of cooled off a little. But I don't think – I wasn't, like, dying to get in the water. It was, like, not cold, but it wasn't warm. But uh, so they just climbed in the river, and the river is amazing because it's bright blue. It's, a like, a beautiful color. It's almost like – it looks like the blue on your shirt. Honestly. Yeah, like turquoise, like this one. Yeah, it's like, it's like a turquoise blue that's super bright. And the other cool thing about the, it's the air. I could be saying it wrong, but it's A-A-R-E, river. And it moves so fast. Yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of like snow melt from the mountains, but the river rips. So basically, you just jump in. I, I jumped from the bridge. I did like a backflip off the bridge. and you land in the water and you're immediately like flying down the river. It's no lazy mile. So you jump in and you just float and the river just rips you down back towards the park. 
and she had impressed upon me how important it is to like get to the side where the park is because there's turbines down the river and she's like yeah usually like five to ten people die every summer because they don't get out in time and if you don't get out in time you just get sucked into the turbine and die and i'm like oh my god so i better get to the side of the river in time well there's a few different places to grab onto but at the part where the park is there's like these steps that go down into the river with a railing She's like, yeah, just swim to the side of the river and just grab the railing and you'll be good. But it it moves so fast, you like, you really got to hold on because yeah, yeah. even if you hit the railing, it's not a guarantee that you can grab. <laughs> so that was a blast. And even when you're floating down the river, you're just looking up at the town and it's beautiful because it's like lit with the afternoon sun. It's like golden hour. It was one of those beautiful experiences in my life and I got out in time I'm still here um but yeah she like she was an MVP couch surfing host <laughs> but you're you made a really good point that like even though they have these bars that you can grab onto like sometimes you'll slip and you'll miss it and like you'll you're like yeah. oh I'll get the next one and like but, I mean there, I think there were like three stairs that yeah. three chances to get out at the park. You definitely. So if you miss the first one, like you could still do it. Yeah, it said, doesn't it? Say, weren't there numbers? It was like this is the last. This is the last chance. Like, I'm thankful I didn't see the last chance sign. Yeah, that was that, that one's one. that one's way too risky to <laughs> to go for. Ooh, that was cool. And then the other cool thing, I was like, oh, so you're gone for the day tomorrow, like. What time are you waking up? Because I can leave with you. Like, I can be out of the house whenever you leave. And she, she just goes, oh, don't worry about it. And she tosses me the keys. And she goes, no, you can stay. I'll be back at night. Just make sure you lock the house if you leave. Nobody steals uh, stuff in Bern. <laughs> nobody steals anything in Bern. She gave me – I had known her at this point for maybe – maybe – nine hours and she tosses me the keys to her house and says i'll be back <laughs> i'll be back like i'm gonna be gone the whole day here are the keys to my house and not only that even more special she was like later on she was like also if you really want to ride the bicycle you can just be careful and take care of her and i'm like okay that's happening so that night or I, I guess the next night I went uh, for a bike ride around Bern, which is unbelievable because their bike is so cool. Later, this was after she had come back from Italy. I think I was staying a second night and we were just hanging out in the house and I, this girl was awesome. Like can't ask for a better host. And I'm just standing in the hallway, like, looking at the art she has on the walls. Well, she was in the kitchen. We were, like, it's not a big place. So we were just having a conversation. But I was in the hallway outside of the room just looking at, you know, what she had up. And then there were, like, some postcard kind of things. And I look at, and I see she just has a picture, like, this big, hanging on her wall of a picture of the plane flying into the world trade center, like on September 11th. 
and I saw it and I was like immediately disoriented <laughs> and I didn't know I'm like up until this point I thought the world of this person and then I saw it and I'm like who am I staying with <laughs> is she evil is she a terrorist? Like, I just thought all these, like, because... Bizarre thoughts, yeah. Bizarre thoughts. And I'm like, the real root of it is, why is this hanging on the wall? And I guess, like, I don't know anyone personally that died in that attack. But, like, I know friends... I had a friend whose dad died when that happened. And it's like, just as an American, I, even when it happened, I was not even as affected as when I saw that postcard in Switzerland on the wall. Cause I like, I, I guess it's overstatement to say I lost it, but I was like severely affected by seeing this picture. And I'm like, I'm like shaking, thinking about it, but I just had, no trust in this girl immediately i'm like who is this and why did she deem it appropriate to like hang the picture of like the worst terrorist attack in our history like on her wall and i was shook i i was like i gotta get out of here i'm thinking like okay maybe i'll just leave tonight <laughs> no i didn't know what i was gonna do but like i knew she wasn't like trying to harm me or anything but i seriously questioned like who she was as a person and then and I, I i just stood there in the hallway and stared at it for like a few minutes straight and then she popped out of the kitchen she's like are you okay because i just like stopped talking the conversation ended and i just look at her and i point at her and i'm like why do you have this on your wall and i'm like I didn't know how to react and I was shocked that I was like so affected by it because I didn't, I've never lived in New York. Like I don't, you know, I don't know the victims personally, but just the fact that she thought it was like cool to hang on the wall. And then she was like, Oh, that's like a promotional flyer. It was a flyer for like a, a play. She does like set design stuff and she's involved in theater. And she was like, yeah, we had a play. And this was like the flyer that we advertised the play for. And I was like, oh, you, was there, you did a play about September 11th, like the World Trade Center attack? Because that sounded interesting. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, no, it didn't have anything to do with the World Trade Center or the attack. And I'm like, why? Are you using the picture of this plane that killed like thousands of people as like a brochure to get people to come to your theater? It didn't make any sense to me, and I was thrown off. And the whole rest of the time I stayed there, I was like, I was like ready to leave, to be honest. And in retrospect, like, I guess she just had no sense of how it would affect and I'm like someone from America seeing it because and she was like she was cool about it she's like if it's like if it's troubling you I can just turn it over or we can take it down 
which was like kind of her to say. And I was like, I said, no, like, I don't want to like change your house or whatever. <laughs> which I had just been like, yeah, can we take it down? <laughs> I was being too polite because I was like, no, you can leave it up. But the, I, as soon as I said that, I'm like, oh, I wish I had just taken it down because it's making me uncomfortable, which is like kind of bizarre, but it is what it is. But I had never been like that affected by anything other than I was just confused as to why it was like, why a picture of that was hanging in someone's house. So that was like, I don't know. That was not a pleasant experience. And I was just shocked. I was all like looking, even when it was happening, I was just shocked that it like affected me because yeah. even oh. when it actually happened, I remember where I was when it happened and it didn't even affect me that much. I mean, I was in, I think sixth grade. I was probably 15, six or no, I was like nine. Probably like, yeah, 10 or nine. Yeah. Oh, was I? I was 11. It was 2001. I was 11. And like, I guess I knew what was happening, but I didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. So like, it was crazy because just seeing that postcard of the picture of the attack was like more traumatizing for me than the day of the attack. And I can't really explain it, but that's... I don't know. That's the last thing I remember from staying in Bern. I, I mean, she was nice the whole time, but I just like woke up and said goodbye and I was out of there. Her, it was just a weird thing that I went through, just like seeing that picture. Yeah, it's definitely a a bizarre occurrence. Yeah. What else? Spitfire me. You went to. Dubai. Dubai is unlike any place I've been. It's amazing from like a technological standpoint and the fact that the city was built in like three decades. Everywhere else I went has so much history right. and culture like ingrained. In Dubai, you just feel like it's almost like Disney World. Because like there's no history. But yeah, every, like Turkey, you can just tell walking around. It's like there's there's millennia worth of history here. And then in Dubai, it's like everything you see, you know, was built in the past like 30 years, pretty much. So it's a different feel. And everyone that lives there, there's no like local. Everyone, it's all expats. It's just like a Playboy expat community of rich people. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely it sounds like a strange like, place. But it's not like uh from a cultural perspective it's a little weird. They've had so much oil wealth for so long that they just spend, spend, spend and build and a lot of it is like really impressive. Although the oil industry is kind of falling off a little. And now they're trying to like sustain it by transitioning to like a tourist based economy, but I don't know. I don't know how Dubai will fare in the next like the next half century, but we'll see. It's it's crazy though. They ball out. That's that's that Arab money. 
Okay. They don't know what to do with it, so they just build crazy shit. Yeah. Okay. They buy tigers, Lamborghinis, and stuff. <laughs> it was funny. We, we, I was at Natasha's, and we go for a walk on the first day. And I had my camera, and I saw it was like a Ferrari or Lamborghini or something. And I was like, "Oh, I gotta get a photo of this. This is cool." I don't see many of these, and I like took a photo. And then it was it was maybe like a minute later I saw another one. Yeah, and then there's another. It's like Rolls Royces. It's like is it? There's like it's like is it as like is it as cool like if you're driving a Ferrari and then like ten of your friends also have Ferraris and you're like well. I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it's not as cool, but it's probably more uncool if you're driving a BMW <laughs> or a Honda. Yeah, very true. Philadelphia. Next. Super Bowl chance. <laughs> we finally won. Cheese steaks and Super Bowls. What more do you need? <laughs> and we have some great parks, too. And a nice river. A nice river. I didn't even say Rocky, but that goes with that. And saying. Rocky, yeah. The one of my favorite things you said when I when I visited visited you is you said, you know, Rocky's such a big part of Philadelphia that I Rocky's the most famous person to come from Philly, and he's not even real. Yeah, and I often forget <laughs> that he's not even real. Yeah, because just <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe like when we went to those steps and just all the tourists like that's just the thing to do like. You're like, you got to do so, it, man. Like, And there's just so many people, and they're like, <laughs> I could stand there all day and watch that. Because it's like, it's fun to do yourself, and then you watch the person do it, and you just know exactly. It's funny to watch other people do it. Yeah, you're like, I know. Especially because you can tell they're, they're like tourists, yeah. and it, it just like. They're like checking oh, things off Cracks the list. They're like checking things off the list over and yeah. over and over again. <laughs> okay, what do I do? Let me run the Rocky steps. And, yeah, I mean, I got a couple more, but Germany. Sure, Germany. Germany. Kind of sad. I No, I like, I enjoyed Germany, but I first thing that came to mind was Hamburg. And I took a tour, and they talked about, like, Hamburg during the war. They got lit up. I mean, it's good the bad guys lost, but still, like, everyone died in that town, so... But that's uh, good to experience, to learn about, and at firsthand. Yeah, I mean, some of the sad things are good to experience. I think Auschwitz was one of the most powerful places I've been, but like, also the most depressing. You went to Auschwitz on that trip. Yeah, because I went there also. Yeah, and it was. Uh, yeah, I took a tour, and I thought everyone should do this once in their life. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying, and. Not terrifying. It was like demoralizing. But I thought, I'm on the tour, and the guy's like, "You walk through the gas chambers that they gas people in," and I'm like, "This is heavy." And I'm thinking, this tour guide has the worst job in the world because he's got to do this every day. Yeah, he got He must have so many psychological problems. He walks through Auschwitz every day and talks about. It. No thanks. But you got to do it once. It's true. I, I did that too. Like hearing the tour guide say, yeah, this amount of people died here. This amount of people died here, here. And just goes on and on and on. They just don't stop saying that. And then you see like these massive containers of their hair and their suitcases. Whoa. And like 
yeah, you just talking about it now, you're right. It's uh but it's you know, it really get puts a a mark on your your own life and how you want to be as positive in life as you can. And Yeah. Um and how important it is to keep from happening. Right. Not letting again. history repeat itself. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. What do you want to leave? the listeners with anything about Europe or life quote to, to end a quote to end. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I would just say for me, at least, I don't know how this translates to everyone, but I would say you just gotta get out the door. Because once you pull the trigger, it's like it all falls into place. And even if it doesn't, you figure it out. And that's part of the adventure. But it's the same for like with traveling on big trips or just like even going into the city, like down the street or whatever. And also with like working out, it's like the hardest part is just getting out the door. Once you do, then you're good. Because like, it's just like with running. Like, I don't want to go work out. But as soon as I put my shoes on and walk out the door, then it's like I'm already done. That's the hardest part. It's the same with track. Like, I just need to go. Spend too much time thinking about it and not enough time just walking out the door. Go start it. I love that. That's perfect. That's, That's exactly what I was looking for. So, because it's exactly what we were just talking about. And like contemplating should i have a banana today like it's like no it's a waste of thought you could have eaten banana by the time you decided that you don't want a banana and it's just like this podcast i told my friend last night i said i've been talking about i have like this inaugural podcast that we did a year ago last summer around a campfire and there was like six close friends it was like one of those just great campfire nights and we i'm like let's just do a podcast tonight let's just pull the trigger and do it and uh, so i pulled out my phone and then we pushed record and then my friend said he's like dude if this is the chasing your dreams podcast you have to upload that episode because otherwise (laughs) if you don't upload that episode then you're a phony and you're not pulling the trigger and i said you're absolutely right but i think you know just just get your foot just go out the door and then yeah you're gonna make mistakes but you're gonna learn and that's exactly what i'm doing with this podcast hey you just learn as you go that's what we all do okay thank you very much and thank you yeah we'll we'll stay in touch been a pleasure yeah it that was fun you you're really funny yeah and have some good stories (laughs) all right have a good one jeff yeah see you calling good job Let's do it. And there you have it. Everybody back on the bus, please. Time to head home. Thank you so much for listening. And hopefully we were able to add some culture and creativity to your life. Next episode, we jump from bridges and airplanes during the most epic birthday in New Zealand. Enjoy an ancient camel ride through the deserts of India as well as tapping into our creative side by turning experiences into art. If these stories and energy are resonating with you, give it a follow or subscribe 
and please feel welcome to leave a comment or review. You can find the audio version on Apple Podcasts or the video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jeffasaurus Rex, and remember, stay curious, vicarious.